most of the people they were not really having the electronic devices or the technology to have online classes on their laptops or phones When we talk about equity and inclusion in higher education in the context of online learning most people will think of the digital divide for the students those who are not coming to the universities for them the online education is very much accessible digital technology also has a role to play in providing access to higher education for people who might not otherwise be able to attend university the pandemic has revealed unfortunate inequities in all forms whether it's online learning whether it's issues of race or mental health and well-being we are not all in this together but there are other inequalities at play in society how can we use digital technology in universities to address these and ensure that we are widening not closing the gap in this episode we'll focus on the challenges that universities face in dealing with the digital divide and broader inequalities what measures can we take to improve the situation for everyone i'm natasha lockin welcome to the internationalist podcast from the association of commonwealth universities my guests are professor sasmita samanta pro vice chancellor of the kalinga institute of industrial technology in india and professor charles pascal professor of human development and applied psychology at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto in Canada. But first, we'll hear from Pride Thakur, who is studying biotech at Amity University, Uttar Pradesh in India. We asked Pride to tell us about his experience of online learning. For me, studying online has been uh, I believe personally a good experience. because i believe that i was already very technologically friendly so to to switch to an online mode wasn't very difficult for me so the first thing that goes with online that i personally liked very much and that uh, i believe most of the people are were in favor of was that we don't have to travel anymore so it was very very time saving on the part of teachers the students the second thing being that uh, it it makes us more flexible it's something that really complements the studying that happens with the teacher as well there are a little bit more challenges that come with it what happens is that particularly if i talk about india we were a country that was in a socio economic divide when pandemic hit us so if if we talk about that most of the people they they were not really having the electronic devices or the technology to have online classes on their laptops or phones so that became a very big problem because they were not able to attend the classes anymore so although today's experience has been positive he recognizes that some students have been less fortunate because they haven't had access to data and devices my first guest professor susmita samanta is from the kalinga institute of industrial technology also known as kiit I asked her to tell me about how KIIT has managed during the great online pivot. Pandemic outbreak in India in the month of March. We started the online classes from uh, 17th of March itself. For five years, we are using different online platforms for conducting the quizzes, for submission of assignment, and sometimes the students, those who are not able to appear the uh, examination because of some of the health issues. like some of the students we find uh, they meet with the accident 
and during the end semester examination they are not able to present in the campus for them also we explore some mechanism as such they can appear in the examination online i guess just thinking about the the long experience that KIIT has in online teaching and learning and also you know the more recent changes that it's made because of the pandemic do you think that online teaching can help create opportunities for people who might not otherwise have been able to attend university yes the greatest advantage of online learning what i have experienced it is flexible for the teachers and the students the teachers can teach from anywhere and the students can learn from anywhere and at any point of time second benefit of online teaching is the optimum utilization of the human resources today we find in the academic scenario getting good faculties good human resources in each and every domain is very difficult it's very difficult for the institution it's very difficult for the universities so if in any institution or universities the good teachers are there in a particular domain then their knowledge can be utilized by the students optimally the third advantage of online learning is that it's um, promotes the inclusiveness because for the students those who are not coming to the universities those who are out, uh, out of the purview of the accessibility to the universities for them the online education is very much accessible we find also with kit university we are having another one tribal institution in the name of kalinga institute of social sciences where around 30000 indigenous children study and those children are from the remote areas they are from the dense forest so while they went back to their place we found that because of the online teaching when they didn't have the access to the university while we uploaded all the materials in the whatsapp in the internet in the university portal they could access it they could learn and they could appear the examination because we find in india also the dropout rate of the students after the high school dropout rate is around 50% it's because those who go to the school after completing the high school they become eligible to participate in different small economic activities of the family and to earn for the family so the family does not allow them to pursue their education but we find the sometimes those children take the advantage of uh, distance mode of education or online mode of education there are lots of example in front of us that the students they work and they learn they do both the work together and maybe after 3 years 4 years we find that they have completed their graduation but my personal opinion is that still now we don't have the proper technology with us proper tools with us as such it can take the place of offline education there's a lot of talk about the digital divide and we see it you know between countries within countries between different groups of people how do you think that technology can help reduce the digital divide in the future from kit university which is a tech university the university provides a laptop to each and every student to each and every student as such and each and every faculty as such everybody will have the access to the technology even with the laptop few students they didn't have the access to the online classes because they didn't have the access to the internet in their uh, residence itself 
so if we see in a country like india or many more countries are there even the advanced countries are there there will be certain places where the internet will not be available round the clock 24 hours second is that the quality of internet if in india nowadays we find internet is available in most of the places but while coming to the online classes getting engaged doing practicals online it needs the quality internet so the infrastructural requirement is huge for implementation of online education all through the country or for maybe for all the students so digital divide while we talk i can say that because of the lack of infrastructure that sort of divide is there the government of india has come with lots of programs recently they have launched one program with pm wani there they are saying that they are providing the data services to the people at the at free of cost even in the village level and different companies the corporates are coming with their own wifi facilities data services to make it accessible to the people but i think it will take 5 years 6 years 10 years nobody knows but it will take its own time from what you're saying the success of technology in higher education is not solely the responsibility of universities there are other stakeholders that need to get involved and need to support that um including the government as well as i said that the uh, online education system is not only dependent on the university yes because the universities can always build up the materials online materials for the students which can be available in the internet but the building of the technological infrastructure is always the national subject it's always the state subject so for professor samanta providing equal access to higher education for all is not just a matter for universities external stakeholders have a vital role to play we're all in this together is a rallying cry we've heard time and time again over the last year but my next guest professor charles pascal professor of human development and applied psychology at the university of toronto believes that this is not the case no absolutely not um you know uh, there's two phrases that popped up at the beginning one is we're all in this together and we are not the pandemic has revealed remarkable uh chasms remarkable uh, unfortunate inequities in all forms whether it's online learning whether it's issues of race or mental health and well-being we are not all in this together and the other phrase that drives me crazy is we look forward to returning to normal uh things weren't normal and effective before the pandemic and there needs to be a major rethink as a result of what we've learned from the pandemic. Do you have thoughts about what the new normal should be for higher education? Uh if we're talking about online uh learning which will likely be part of going forward, there needs to be a major investment in how to ensure that there's an equitable approach that deals with the fact that uh, uh there is a digital divide and we can talk about the many forms of that digital divide. Uh do I think that post-secondary education uh, should be about problem solving uh rather than discipline based? Uh absolutely. We need to think more carefully about the quality of a curriculum and uh how uh, we can ensure that the complex social and economic problems of the day uh drive uh, how learners learn. 
We also need learners at all uh, ages, from preschool through uh, universities and colleges. We need them to be able to evaluate fact from fiction, because we're living in a, an age where social media uh, bifurcates a right versus wrong and uh, doesn't provide an opportunity for nuanced discussions uh, that are evidence-based in what I call the uh, the gray zone in the middle. Uh, so there's a lot of things that need a major rethink. You mentioned that there are many forms of the digital divide. Can you tell us about what the digital divide looks like in Canada specifically? Well, look, the digital divide, you know, usually uh, is decoded as uh, those who have resources and those that don't. It's related to issues of, uh, of income and poverty. Uh, and we know from the pandemic uh, that those who uh, don't have internet at home, those who don't have proper devices, uh, are at a major disadvantage. But the digital divide also relates to the fact that students vary widely with respect to how capable or interested they are in early learning. And there's many factors at play. And these aren't income uh, driven. They have to do with individual differences. I have two granddaughters who've been doing most of their work in the last, uh, you know, year uh, online. One of them thrives on it. The other one desperately needs to be in a circle with friends to enjoy the socialization, etc. Uh, so the digital divide comes in terms of, of learners. The digital divide also applies to professors, uh, many of whom don't have a clue about how to effectively uh, use online learning. Too many of my colleague professors uh, at the University of Toronto, they think that taking the content of their lectures and putting it through the technological black box uh, and outcomes, uh, you know, great learning, it's simply not the case. We have to reinvent uh, how we use the basics of, of high-quality interactions regarding students getting information, applying the information, getting feedback, working with peers. There's lots of, of ways of of uh, teaching and building the capacity of teachers at all levels of education, including university professors, but that's going to take a major uh, investment. I wanted to ask your thoughts on how, reflecting on those individual circumstances, how digital inequality might intersect with un- with other inequalities that are pre-existing or it might exacerbate those? Yes, you know, there's no doubt uh, that, I mean, one of the silver linings for me uh, uh, is uh, that the, the pandemic has pulled back the curtain on uh, racism in all of its forms. Uh, and racism uh, intersects with poverty and intersects with a, a inequitable effect of the pandemic on, uh, on issues of race. Uh, and we know that it's had a, a much more deleterious effect uh, when it comes to uh, racism. Uh, when it comes to mental health and well-being, there were all sorts of pre-existing uh, challenges for many students, including university students, uh, many of whom uh, drop out after a few months in their first semester, their first year, because of undetected uh, uh, issues of, of stress and anxiety. These things were all there before. The pandemic has pulled back the curtain. And so all of these things need to be understood. And Natasha, your question is absolutely critical. You can't just take a slice of the problem in terms of digital uh, learning and just add all the things we know about how to do that more effectively without looking at these uh, intersectional issues regarding issues of racism, uh, issues of gender inequality, and issues of mental health and well-being. 
Can I ask you also a little bit about First Nations people? That's another layer of inequality in countries where Indigenous populations are marginalised. Oh, absolutely. Uh, no question about that. And, uh, you know, when I talk about uh, uh, racism as a uh, as an ugly truth uh, in our backyard, we, we like to point the finger to, to the South regarding the remarkably devastating uh, racial divide in the United States. We are nowhere near, thankfully, uh, uh, the situation there. But we have our own issues here. Uh, and uh, when it comes to uh, issues of, of race, uh, I should separate out and include and underscore the importance of dealing with uh, uh, indigenous peoples uh, and the inequities that uh, they uh, uh, so sorely suffer. And uh, there's there's no doubt about that uh, the, we need uh, special understanding and special outreach and special support uh, led by indigenous leaders that we need to uh, figure that out. And this calls attention to the, the, the one thing that I think needs to be part of the capacity build for teachers at all levels, including post-secondary, uh, and that is anti-oppression training. I don't think there should be a professor in the Commonwealth in 10 years that hasn't undergone serious deep learning from within anti-oppression. And I'm not just talking about a couple seminars with a few folks on a panel. I'm talking about deep uh, learning uh, led by facilitators uh, who can help us lead from within in terms of dealing with uh, uh, unconscious bias. Uh, and the same thing goes regarding uh, issues of mental health and well-being. You know, we, we need to be serious about improving the pedagogy of university professors, according to the things we've discussed. Uh, but part of that has to be uh, with respect to the kind of um, core values and behaviors uh, that make sure that equity and diversity are understood uh, in the very souls of each of us who have the responsibility to support the change makers of the future. And is there a role, do you think, for technology in driving that approach and helping improve the situation? Absolutely, if it's used appropriately. But, you know, in 1985, a Harvard professor, and she's still around producing great uh, material, Shoshana Zuboff at, at Harvard, uh, wrote a book called In the Age of the Smart Machine. 1985, she warned that if you just uh, think of technology uh, as a black box where you, you jam in uh, the content and out comes something different, you are basically going to waste a huge amount of time and it won't work. We've heard this actually a little bit already, that it cannot be technology for its own sake. I think that reflects a little bit, not just on the role of technology in higher education, I suppose, but how higher education can support society's engagement with technology. And I wondered if you wanted to expand a little bit on that, or if you had any thoughts about how, again, I suppose, how that can really help support equity and inclusion. You know, we need a future where all the graduates of our universities, uh, you know, around the Commonwealth are critical thinkers, uh, active problem solvers, dealing with the complexity of the social and economic issues we face today, whether it's climate change uh, or uh, social uh, and economic uh, inequity. Uh, we need, we need problem solvers and we need problem solvers to basically know where to get uh, the best information and evidence available. Too many governments around the world uh, have leaders that have turned their their backyards into evidence-free zones 
uh, where uh, evidence and facts don't seem to matter. And in this uh, day and age of easy access through Google uh, and other platforms, uh, we need to teach from the earliest years, and I'm talking about preschool, uh, we need to teach learners the ability to evaluate information, to test it out, and to uh, ensure that they evaluate the sources of information. This has to start before formal schooling and has to be reinforced throughout so that when our learners uh, get to universities and we have professors who understand that this is not just about regurgitating a discipline-by-discipline information, but a, a transdisciplinary approach where students learn how to deal with a, a, a complex social economic problem by taking the best of what each discipline might have to offer uh, to solve it, rather than having this course on uh, uh, geometry and this course on, on history and this course on language, where we bifurcate. I call this hardening of the categories, uh, where, you know, discipline after discipline. And we need to go into a transdisciplinary world and organize curriculum at all levels, including universities. That, that's a major transformation. Uh, so there's lots to be done uh, to ensure uh, that uh, critical thinking and problem solving and good citizenship, uh, behavior that's informed by moral purpose, moral purpose uh, is part of what uh, our students leave uh, when uh, they go out into the world uh, after uh, a college and university experience. If we don't, if we don't start with that end game, where the future needs to be healthier, safer, more just, and prosperous for the many rather than the elite few, that's my mantra. If we don't begin with a clear vision of the nature of what education's about. We'll continue just going down every single pathway. We'll muddle through. Universities will try to get their grants uh, from their governments. Uh, we, we need a major transformation, and the pandemic has clearly called attention uh, that we have not uh, done anywhere near enough uh, to ensure that better future for the many. The pandemic has revealed inequalities in many forms in education and in wider society. This is about more than the digital divide, and my guests believe that we have an opportunity to rethink how the education system can improve equity and inclusion. I'd like to thank Three Tucker, student at Amity University Uttar Pradesh, Professor Susmita Samanta, Pro Vice-Chancellor at the Kalinga Institute of Industrial Technology, and Professor Charles Pascal, Professor of Human Development and Applied Psychology at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto. The Association of Commonwealth Universities is committed to highlighting the issues that influence learning and teaching in our world. In the next edition, we'll be asking, is blended learning the new normal? Can it create new opportunities for higher education? So please do subscribe to the series wherever you get your podcasts and like, comment and share the programme. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Just search for the Association of Commonwealth Universities. The Internationalist is presented by me, Natasha Locken, and produced by Jill Davis. It's an Earshot Strategies production for the Association of Commonwealth Universities.